0: From listener supported KTOO, welcome to Gino Afternoon broadcasting live right here on the homelands of the Akwan and on demand as a podcast. It's Friday, March 1st, 2024. I'm your host Andy Klein Gunashish. Thank you for joining the conversation on today's show. It's First Friday, and the Juno Arts and Humanities Council is here with the arts roundup info on tonight's openings and other events happening in March. And a chat then with Cam Burns, who's been taking photographs of local performing arts groups in Juno for 35 years. His retrospective opens tonight at the Juno Artist Gallery. And then Discovery Southeast is here, and they're opening registration for their Outdoor Explorers Summer Camp. We'll find out about that and about other things going on. With discovery southeast those conversations plus tongas voices sounds wild music and more coming up on this hour of juno afternoon i hope you'll stick around and join me support for juno afternoon comes from heritage coffee roasting company providing juno with locally roasted coffee
1: for over 40 years with cafes and drive through locations throughout juno more at heritagecoffee.com
2: Hands and grass.
3: Independent journalism is the oxygen of a healthy democracy. And in this moment, a strong and free press is essential. KTOO has a big responsibility to bring you nuanced reporting and analysis on the complicated news happening in our neighborhoods, our country, and our world. KTOO and NPR can't sustain this important work without your financial contribution. That's because our listeners provide the largest share of our funding. Support this work today at KTOO.org. You are listening
4: to Tongas Voices from KTOO, Perspectives from the Homelands of the Aquan and Beyond. One of Juno's favorite drag kings, Taquan, is known for Prince tributes, sci-fi themed acts, and big platform boots. T. McGinnis, the person behind Taquan, gave KTOO a tour of the Juno Drag Closet for this week's Tongus Voices and told their drag origin story.
5: Gigi, Latuya, Hart Monroe, and Aquarius Valentine. And this is my section. The queens are so messy and disorganized. It's like... Severed heads. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I'm T. McGinnis, and my drag name is Taquan. Uh, so I decided to um, do drag for Halloween one year, and I dressed up as the weekend, and that was like seven years ago, and it just stuck. I had been already making costumes before that, so I was like, I think I can, uh, I think I can do this. Um, it was like the year. Uh, Gigi Monroe held the glitz and brought in Landon Cider, who's like the drag king of all drag kings. And from that moment, when I saw Pitbull come out on that stage, I was like, I didn't know that kings were performing drag at that level until I was exposed to that. And that's what kind of inspired me to start performing in drag. Most places just book queens. We don't really have so much of that problem here because a majority of the performers here are actually kings. And uh, Gigi Monroe, who runs the Juno drag family, always keeps space for kings and celebrates kings. Um, so we're a little bit different in our drag community than other places. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm the only black drag king in Alaska. Give it up for the one and only, <laughs> Yeah, so most of my drag, I make all my stuff. These were like a mannequin and I had to cut them out and then we painted them, uh, added the silver paint and um, the rhinestones. It was actually designed after Dr. Funkenstein, who's a character from the P-Funk era. So that was designed after that. So I wanted to have the visual of emerging from a spacecraft and like bringing the funk to Earth.
4: Space, the final
5: I've been sewing since I was eight. I was homeschooled, so my mom taught me how to sew. And my friends would ask me to like make clothes and stuff like that. And then after a while, I started doing it professionally when people see me. So I'm like, see, you just do this and then you just reverse and then go around the corner like you try. And they're like, ah, I think for Glitz we we were um, chomping at the last minute. And um, there was an idea that came up with costumes and it was maybe the night before the show. So it was like, hey, uh, can you go pick the fabric up at Joann's and like whip those up for us? So like, yeah, sure. So I came up with a pattern, cut everything out and then realized like I cut it out wrong. Then I had a little moment to cry. And then I sewed the piece back on and put it together and like no one ever knew. I perform the number I hear my name being called back out to the stage so they bring myself and um, my husband out on the stage to introduce him to Juno into the drag family in the middle of a show a drag show at the Red Dog Saloon <laughs> I was dressed as Prince made it even more hilarious <laughs> that was a surprise I was backstage like ripping my stuff off like I'm done with this wig. And they're like, come back out. So that was um, really welcoming and really nice from the drag family.
4: That was Juno Drag King Taquan, also known as T McGinnis, for this week's Tonga's Voices.
0: And welcome back uh, to Juno Afternoon, coming to you from the KTO studios. And uh, coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit more about some other things happening around town. You know, it's First Friday, and so one of the centers of First Friday is always the Geno Arts and Humanities Council, and Rochelle Bonnet is joining us via Zoom. Rochelle, how are you?
5: I'm
6: doing well, thank you.
0: Good, good to have you on, and good to talk to you on this First Friday. Uh, this is one that always kind of sneaks up on you, although we did have a whole leap year day to get adjusted to the fact that it was going to be March 1st on Friday, but when the first Friday comes on the first of the month, it kind of sometimes sneaks up on people, but this is going to be a fun one. Lots going on.
6: Yes, we have a lot of different locations around town participating this month, so there's a lot of new art and exhibits to see if you're out and about
0: tonight. Let's dive right in. What, 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 what okay. do you recommend first and foremost here?
6: So uh, first, I always have to make a pitch for what's going on at our location. Um, We're excited to be hosting Natalie Weinberg this month. Um, She has a solo exhibit in the gallery at the Jack. It's going to be featuring her figurative works. They're often set in or mirroring nature, and she uses images and memories of her own body as a reference for those. Um, and I have to say, I, I've seen the show and she has installed some of her original paintings, but she's also muralized part of the gallery. So um, highly recommend Swinging By for that. She also has lots of different merch and things that you can pick up um, when you go through. And that's going to be tonight, uh, 4 to 7 p.m. at the Jack. No, and
0: that's, then That's interesting. The- so she's taken, she's actually taken the walls of the gallery itself and made that a part of the display that's happening, a part of the installation.
6: Yes, that's right. And she's also muralized some of our pedestals too. So it, it's, you walk in and it's, uh, it's like a whole vibe. The gallery has been completely transformed, which that's is really cool. cool.
0: That's cool. Yeah. But then, oh, then it has to be painted over again. Oh, well, you know, it's temporary. Yeah, but you it's know. Temporary, <laughs> ephemeral, artistic statement. That's very cool. I love it.
6: Yeah. Um, and then uh, right across the street in the Davis Gallery at Centennial Hall, we have a, an exhibit that's continuing through March 23rd. It's a photography exhibit by Terry Tibbet, And these are a collection of um, photographs that were taken in Alaska and Mexico. So that'll be open tonight from four to seven. If you haven't had a chance to see it, make sure to stop by.
0: That's the North South. Uh, is that what that one was called? Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. We had her on a couple of weeks ago talking about that. It sounded like a really fascinating exhibit. So very cool. Another chance to see that.
6: Absolutely. And then um it looks like we have new exhibits opening up at both the state and the city museum this month. Um up at the city museum, we have their annual 12 by 12 community art exhibit. And the theme for that this time is Stellar. And when I stopped by with um, some friends to drop off pieces, it sounded like they've had the most submissions ever this, this year. So that will be really cool to see. That's um, awesome. The wow. opening.
0: Yeah, a, lot yeah, of, a lot of yeah. creeped up creativity flowing out onto the walls <laughs> of the City Museum. That's awesome.
6: Yeah. Uh, the The opening for that is 4 to 7 p.m. tonight. Great. And then... Over at the um, the Alaska State Museum, they have a new exhibit. It's called XX20 Years of Alaskan Art. And this is uh, featuring the work of contemporary Alaskan artists and specifically pieces that have been acquired by the museum over the last 20 years through the generosity of the Rasmussen Foundation's Alaska Art Fund. So... I'm guessing that's going to be a really amazing exhibit, probably featuring all different types of art and different artists from across the state. Nice. Yeah. Um, And then uh, two other spots. I just wanted to briefly briefly mention um, the Pottery Jungle, which is up where the canvas used to be. They're hosting somebody tonight. Um, Neil Steininger. um, He does wood turned bowls, plant stands, hangers, boxes, and vases.
0: You know, and
6: their space and I, I was just
0: talking really cool. to the new owner of that space as you were just about to say the space is so awesome she was i hadn't been in there since the canvas was in there and she was showing me just photos of the space itself it's it's pretty vast and such a cool place to show artwork it's going to be pretty neat to be in there
6: yeah. Every time I drive by, I'm I'm just like fascinated with the way that they have everything set up and the plants. It's just, it looks really cool in there.
0: Yeah. It's a whole concept, you know, it's like really bringing this aesthetic to the whole space. And that's a really interesting and exciting place to be able to view art. Absolutely. Yeah.
6: Um, And then the last spot I wanted to mention is Bustin' Out Boutique. They are having their grand reopening tonight at their new location on Seward Street, and they're featuring featuring some paintings by a local artist named Kathy Hamblett. So if you haven't had a chance to see their new spot, this would be a good opportunity to go check it out.
0: Very nice. And I wanted to, I wanted, I know I just mentioned it in sort of the list of things I talked about, but I did want to mention an illustrated watercolor collection that's happening over at Kindred Post. It's a pop-up kind of happening over there. And that's called The Gathering Series. And that's an illustrated watercolor collection. I just thought I'd mention that again. It sounds like a cool thing, a pop-up happening over there at Kindred Post.
6: Absolutely. And um, for anybody that's listening, if you want to see uh, the full list of events that are happening on First Friday, you can head to our website. We have that posted online. It's at jack.org slash first Friday. And we also have some printed um, programs available for folks to pick up at Jack.
0: Cool. Well, what else is going on? At, speaking of the Jack and JHC and all the things that you guys are tracking all the time you got other stuff happening coming up
6: we do we have a you know a fairly busy march I'd say probably a little less busier than um, February but we have a number of events coming up on um, Saturday March 9th from 10 a.m to 12 p.m we're going to be hosting a technically art seminar that's focused on pricing and merchandising for artists so you won't want to miss that if you've been you know thinking about merchandising your art or you're not sure where to start, we have three local artists who will be there to give their expertise on the subject. And it's a $10 suggested donation to attend that event.
0: That's a really cool thing just to be able to get a head start or just kind of get out the gate, you know, feel like you get a little bit of motivation and, and, uh, you know, kind of make sure you're taking steps that other people have uh, kind of recommended to avoid mistakes, that kind of thing. So that's really cool.
6: Absolutely, and um, we're looking forward to it. We did a we did one similar last year that was just a general discussion on pricing for artists, and this one's going to be more of a deep dive. So, we do a panel discussion, and then the audience has the opportunity to ask any questions that didn't get answered. Great. Um, and then we have uh, two sessions of a new program that we've started called Circus Jam. And this is um, an open studio type event where you can come and share your tricks, learn from others, and basically immerse yourself in the supportive atmosphere of the circuit community here in Juneau. Oh, cool. So, yeah, that's coming up on uh, Monday, March 11th and 25th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the job.
0: And then is is Poetry Out Loud kind of gearing back up?
6: Oh, you know what? It is. That is also happening at the same time.
0: Okay. Tell me about that.
6: Yes. Um, let me look. I have to pull up my oh, calendar real quick. I but...
0: sprung that one on you. I was on <laughs> that was on my personal list. <laughs>
6: yeah. So we will be hosting poetry out loud. Um, I believe it'll be the competitions, the final competitions here at the Jack. That'll be happening. Um, over the weekend of the 9th, 10th, and 11th. And then I believe um, KTOO will be broadcasting everybody who participates in that so you can kind of hop on and watch. And um, it's a statewide competition that is basically an opportunity for high school students to um, compete and recite poetry and they get the opportunity potentially to travel to dc to compete at a, na- a nationwide level
3: which is really cool
0: and it's always so inspiring and it's just uh, it's such beautiful work always there's just something amazing about every single one of the poems that's uh that's that's uh, presented so what a cool thing that is
6: absolutely yes And then um, we have just a couple of other events towards the end of March. We will be hosting a concert at the Jack on Tuesday, March 26th from 7 to 9 p.m. And the group is Barbara Laika and her band. They're a jazz band from Canada. So um, if you're interested in that, we have tickets available now online. And um, you can also purchase them at the box office at the Jack.
0: Hot, hot Canadian jazz. Yes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be interesting to see the Canadian interpretation of jazz will be cool. That's awesome.
6: Yeah, we're we're looking forward to having them. I think it's going to be a really fun concert. And,
0: and, I was, and then I, I was interested in this stress-free art night. Tell me about that.
6: Yes, yes, uh, because we have you know so much going on that the following night after the Barbara Leica concert, you can come back to the Jack and you can participate in stress-free art night, which is an open studio event it's it's family friendly a suggested donation of five to ten dollars and um the theme this month is painting so from five thirty to 7 30 p.m you come and uh, we provide all of the materials we provide some ideas for projects and then you just get to hang out and make art and it's a really cool event um and you can either take your creation home with you or you can leave it with us. And depending on like what the size is, we will sometimes bring up pieces and put them in the free little art gallery that's up at the City Museum.
0: All right. Well, boy, it does. It sounds like a pretty full, even if it's not quite as busy as February, as you just said, I wouldn't know. It <laughs> sounds busy to me. Certainly could fill out. There's your There's always something going yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> You could fill out your weeks full of art and performance art and poetry and music and, uh, and uh, visual art all happening at the Jack and uh, all happening uh, as part of what Juno Arts and Humanities Council brings to, to, uh, to Juno. Rochelle, thanks so much for giving us a little bit of a, of a, uh, a preview of that. And where can people go if they want to find out a little more details or more information on this?
6: Um, visit our website. That's org, or you can give us a call at 586-2787, and we can get you all the information that you need.
0: That's Rochelle Bonnet from JAHC, Juno Arts Humanities Council. Rochelle, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it.
6: Okay. Thank you.
0: Okay coming up next we're going to be talking to one of the artists presenting in first friday and throughout the month cam burns will be with us in just a moment back to Juno Afternoon from the KTOO studios here on Egan Drive. Great to join you and uh, joining us next, Cam Burns is here. Cam's a photographer who's going to be featured at the Juno Artist Gallery this month. Cam, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks a lot for having yeah, me. Uh, good yep. to have you. And um, so tell me just a little bit about... Your work, it, this is being kind of billed as a 35-year photo retrospective at the artist a gallery. A
4: specific retrospective. So, so a spe-
0: specific part of the work that you do.
4: Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've been a photographer in town. This is my 50th year in wow. Juneau. Yeah, this summer. Uh, and uh, end of summer, August, 50 years ago, moved to Juneau. Very cool. So, um, and uh, everything I've done... My entire career, in know has something to do with photography. I actually worked for a KTOO TV for ten years yeah. with a TV camera on my That's shoulder. Right. Um, through all that time, though, regardless of what else I was doing, I photographed theater. I mean, every everything, uh, perseverance, and um, things that happened at the um, the halls in town and at the bars in town, um, and. <laughs> Just for the fun stuff of happening. It. Yeah, oh, right. It's still happening yeah. and I shot a show last week and I got another one next week. So. When you
0: shoot these shows, these so so this work that you're doing is is concentrating on your performance art, the performance art w- photos that you've taken it, through the years.
4: Yes. Yeah. and that's what it's all about. It's basically a 35 years of performance in Juno. So, if you've been in a show or been um been in a show um, or know somebody who's been in a show, there's a good chance they're on the wall at the Jack jag tonight that's Junior cool. artist gallery did put a big collage on the wall about a nice. hundred pictures from the last 35 years do you
0: do you, when you go to these events do you also do you uh, do you really concentrate on the performers and performance itself or do you are you also interested in what's happening in the crowd that it, kind of thing
4: it depends some of the things I shoot I'm I'm hired to shoot they they're paying me to go there, and uh, they usually have specific things they're looking for. Um, so I make sure I get those things. Um, the symphony orchestra, um, she always wants uh, people having a good time at the symphony. So I do a lot of crowd stuff, and during the a break in the middle of the show, the crowd
0: surfing that yeah, happens at, go at the, the symphony in the lobby where sure. people are
4: eating and and round them up and, <laughs> yeah, nice. and uh, take their pictures. But Get also the, the, the idea the of
0: the event itself surrounding the, the performance. Yeah, yeah right, mm-hmm. right.
4: But I I really like. Um, planting myself like in front of the symphony orchestra with a long lens and looking for the perfect expression, the perfect bow move, the perfect blow on the horn. Something like that. (laughs) So I can focus in on one person and take a hundred shots. Yeah. Know, and then, okay, I got that. Let's go over here to the bass and, right. and get that couple of things. And that's now really that, fun for me.
0: That's an interesting thing of the performances that you do. Is there a type of performance you find the most challenging yeah. and the most interesting to do? I mean, you're describing a symphony where there's lots of different things to concentrate on
4: throughout the evening. Is there... Well, actually, one of the f- most fun things is the folk festival. Yeah, um, sure. Because you can yeah. just go anywhere and move around while they're performing. There's something and interesting
0: things. in every And every 15 of minutes, day. it all changes. <laughs> that's right,
4: that's and then right. you go out in the lobby, and there's always stuff going out there, and people in the back rooms. So I just uh, kind of browse around the Folk Festival, <laughs> usually four or five nights, uh-huh. and just shoot everything that's going on there. And there are uh, quite a few Folk Festival shows going way back in the show at the uh, June Artist Gallery. Nice. Right that's now. nice. I
0: mean, I, there wouldn't the – performance in Juno. Uh, retrospective wouldn't be complete without a lot of the folk festival
4: a lot, a lot yeah. of the folk festival yeah, yeah. right
0: and, uh, such a such a key element every single year part yeah. of really means spring, you know, doesn't right, it? Right. It does. It, just, it does. Yeah. So
4: I'm looking forward to it this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's some of the most unique, looking back, I'm sure now you've got a chance to remember throughout the 35 years, what were the ones you go, oh boy, I remember that one. That one was wild.
4: Well, probably some of the hardest. I shot for many years, uh, the um, Perseverance Theater shows. And uh, those are tough. Um, it's small stage. Are I mean, you doing,
0: a, are you do typically doing ones where you're doing like a, a pre-performance kind of hopefully thing? Hopefully yeah. I'm doing a pre-performance. Right.
4: Yes. It's nice if they do that because then I could stop it if I miss something. So they, they just put a show on for me. Some of the directors will have a script and they say, well, we want these 200 setups. Uh, that's kind of boring for me. <laughs> I'd rather watch a show, watch a rehearsal and then come and shoot a rehearsal and then try to get the timing right but you miss stuff you know suddenly they throw the graffiti in the air. yeah right you go, right yeah. miss that <laughs> and uh, and then get him to reset it and yeah. go back but the interesting thing about a lot of this uh, if you're shooting a show like that um, you don't really know what the show is because you they do it in the order of costumes not the order of the show, so a lot of so shows. You, like When
0: you do a dress, when you're when you're doing, you don't you don't shoot the dress rehearsal. You shoot scenes. So they're, I, I they're shoot scenes, up scenes
4: for right. it, yeah. And, and they're setting the them up for me. We see yeah, right. in the
0: program, or we see right. That's used, exactly yeah. it. Right, right. And
4: they know what's going to mess up the stage. They say, "Well, we're going to hold this to the end because after this scene, the stage is going to be a m- big mess. And then if I miss something, well, then it gets it's gets to be trouble. So, so I'm reminding the groups I'm working for fairly often. Tell me what's coming up. If something unusual is coming up, because I can't tell what's happening over to my left. If I'm looking at two people doing something on my right. And yet stage is different. Also, it's sort of fake because what looks good to an audience Doesn't look good to a camera. So I'm always stopping and saying, ooh, can we move these people closer together? Well, that's not how the show is going to be, but I really need all five in one shot that they can put on a poster, right? Or yes. they don't get what so, they so want. So
0: it's a it's a different art form. Different that you're art putting form. Together, so
4: sometimes, yeah. fairly often, I'll get home after shooting a show, and my wife will say, "Well, what's how is it? What's what's the show like?" I have I, say, I have no idea. <laughs> right. I, I saw the scene two at the end and sure. scene one and five, you know, in the middle, and then they trans you know the, the stage. Like. And you yeah. Know what the costumes look like? You know, the set and looks so, like. But and, yeah, and right. fairly often, I just have to stop it and say, "I missed it, sorry," or if you get people. Um, facing each other on stage, but not facing the audience. Well, then I want to shoot them both so I can see the faces. Right. So yeah. So it's uh, moving around a lot.
0: Are there highlights of performers that have traveled into Juno that you've captured? Um, anything that kind of sticks out as like, oh, that was a fantastic show.
4: Well, it's it's hard to shoot theater. It's hard to shoot any live show. So I I. Really have to get into what I'm doing. Part of the problem – oh, I've listed about six things that are part of the problem. Part of the problem is dealing with art directors and uh, theater lighting people. They want their lighting to be dramatic. That doesn't work for photography. You know, uh, if I get a face that's bright, then there's nothing in the shadows. If you're sitting in the audience, you see what's in the shadow, but you don't see the whole set. So I'm always fighting – the the art director, oh can't you give it a little more light? Can't we boost this up a little bit? And and it's all computerized these days. They go, oh well, we can yeah. use the lighting from this right. scene. And I say, do it. It'll look better on the poster than what you know, what it really looks like.
0: Is it hard to capture dance?
4: Is that dance is tough. Is it? Dance is yeah. tough. Yeah. Yeah. So when I shoot dance, I usually try to get them to explain who's coming in where and what are they going to do. Are they going to do a throw, blah, 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 you know. Um, And fairly often uh, I just say, I missed it. Let's do it again, sometimes two or three times. I say, ooh, let's just do it one more time and things like that.
0: What's your favorite thing to shoot of of, of the different performance types?
4: um, You know, although this is sort of subtle, one of my favorite things is just – A group of performers like the Folk Festival or even like the Symphony Orchestra, just people working together. And then for me, I'm hunting for those moments where they make a connection, where the violin player looks over at the cello player. And makes that connection. And then, bang, 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 got three shots and I went, ooh, that's that's what I've been waiting for. Uh-huh. All night, I've been yeah. waiting for them to look at each other, which reminds me a little bit. I used to do weddings long ago. Um, and you know that sometime during the evening, the bride and groom are going to be by themselves. Everything's going to be swirling around them, and they're going to do something. They're going to reach down and squeeze each other's hands or something and and those are the moments that as a photographer that I like to shoot. Right, those catching. little quick things that uh, you do it the how people moments. relate yeah, to each other. Right, yeah. Right. So for the show tonight I went through well um, about 22,000 pictures <laughs> 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 and that's that's my theater yeah. grouping. Um picked out about 140 of them, printed them all different sizes and then uh, um Put them on a wall in the gallery, so it's a big collage. So if you go down there, you'll probably see somebody you know, or you might see yourself on there. Yeah, yeah,
0: uh-huh. exciting. Tell yeah. me a little bit about how your equipment has changed through the years.
4: Well, I was quick to embrace digital. Oh. I I love digital. Now, did that because
0: you embraced it quickly? Did is there a period in your work where it's not as uh, yes. high enough definition as yes. you would want today? <laughs> That's a
4: good question. Yeah, um, yeah, I took a trip to greece um we travel overseas fairly often took a trip to greece um with two digital cameras and they weren't quite mm. up to it and when i look at those pictures now i just go "Ooh, right. oh, if i can only take the one i've got now right. out of greece right you know so it's just like one two-year period as th- as things were coming to it although the software has gotten so good, I could go back now and do a lot on those pictures. Enance, enhance, enhance. Yes. Enhance, it right. Enhance, <laughs> Soup them up, make them look good again. Yeah. When, I, uh, when digital came in, I actually had a studio in town. I was doing uh, portraits of weddings and family groups and stuff. Um, but I always had to send my film out to le- other labs. And by the time they came back, the people were going, where's our stuff? Where's our stuff? And then they order prints and have to set that outside. So I jumped on digital right away. I love printing my own stuff. Um, and I've got a printer that prints And you invest, really
0: in, invest in good printers to Good do printers, that. Yeah, good paper, right. and everything. Yeah, all you know? that I stuff. just hate
4: turning it over to someone else. Right. And then I can shoot something in the evening. I can go home. Well, the, the, the symphony orchestra always, always wants – the Saturday performance, but they want pictures that night to promo the Sunday performance. Right, they always do Saturday right, right, and Sunday afternoon. Right. So I'll go right home and just bang and work on uh, 20 pictures and email them off right away. And within an hour or two after the show, they're showing up online and that's yeah. fun. Has, you know?
0: has the Has moving to digital changed the way that you approach how you are actually working in the moment? not a lot you still would take as many photos that kind of thing you, you, I just I remember just not as an amateur photographer being a little more precious about every click of the camera when it was film
4: you know well <laughs> um, as a professional using film I'm buying film. In a different way than most people, I, I buy it by the brick. Right, bricks right. have twenty rolls of film, so I'd order from B and H Photo uh, twenty bricks of film. <laughs> yeah. and so I always have lots of film. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it didn't. So so, just, so. it was
4: just one of the costs of
0: doing. Yeah. That. So that cost yeah. has just gone down. Right. But it
4: although with technique. digital, I do shoot a lot
0: more. Mm-hmm, you, you do. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah.
4: But I'm not. Uh, I'm not into um, what they call pray and spray where you don't, know, you just go out and just push bang, 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 bang. No, I am looking for the moment. I'm looking so for- So when
0: you look back luck. at your thumbnails, you, you, you've got a good idea of the ones you're looking for. You kind of have made a mental note of- I've already oh, cro- yeah. I've already
4: not cropped them. I've already uh, deleted- Thousands of them. I see. Yeah. These days, I was looking just the other day, I've got 212,000 pictures. Okay. (laughs) And I'm getting ready for the summer whale season. I work on a whale watching boat. Um, So I know I'm going to take 15,000 pictures of whales this summer. I don't need 15,000 more pictures. So right now, I'm sorting through and throwing away thousands of pictures from years ago, mm-hmm. or I've got one whale and I've got a hundred shots of them. I know 90 of them I'm never going to use because right, right. these 10 are great. And yep. those are, so I'm deleting those. I do it every summer.
0: Well, it's fascinating to hear about just the whole, the whole, uh, you know, this, the life's work that you've been working on and this, yeah. this, this portion of it, which is the performance art. It's, uh, happening at the Juno Artist gallery tonight's first Friday. In fact, you're going to have to get over there soon. And, um, I'm, somebody's covering <laughs> for me. Oh, right okay. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. good. And uh, and then it's going to be showing all uh, month in the Juno Artist Gallery. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's Cam Burns, a 35-year photo retrospective of performance art in Juno at the Juno Artist Gallery. Cam, thanks so much for coming in. Great talking to you. It's sure. super fun to talk to you about all the stuff you've been working on and, and have a great show. Thanks a lot. Okay. All right.
2: Uh-huh. Sounds wild. Hi, I'm Riley Woodford for the Alaska Department of Fishing Game. A blizzard of notes enlivens the forest in Alaska in winter. The singer is a Pacific Wren, formerly known as the Winter Wren. A few years ago, the American Ornithological Society split the Winter Wren into two species, Eastern and Western varieties. The Eastern variety retains the name Winter Wren, and the Western variety here in Alaska takes the new name Pacific Wren. The American Ornithological Society based in Chicago, has maintained the list of English names for birds in North America since 1886. Names have been changed in the past for biological reasons, when a better understanding of genetic differences and similarities merited splitting closely related birds into separate species. Beginning in 2024, hundreds of birds will be renamed by the Ornithological Society, but not because of genetics or taxonomy. They will rename all birds named after people. The change is being made to ensure that the names of people who engaged in discrimination are not attached to the birds. Rather than debate who is good or bad, it was decided to just change all birds named after people and use new names that focus on unique features of the birds, physically descriptive features. The scientific names in Latin will not be changed. Sounds wild. I'm Riley
0: Woodford. Fascinating stuff there from Riley. Thanks so much. And it leads into our next discussion very well, which is Discovery Southeast. Maggie Gale and Sean Isley are here from Discovery Southeast. Thanks to both of you for coming in.
3: Thank you. How are hey, you Andy. doing?
0: Great. Good, thanks Good for having us. Good to see you guys. And um, as, as happens every year, open registration is about to start for a really popular program, the Outdoor Explorers Summer Camp. So tell me a little bit about that, Maggie. What's going on with that? And tell me about how people can sign up.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're doing a little bit of a different registration process this year, and I'm going to have Sean explain a couple of the main points of that registration. Um, The main thing is that we do want people accessing through our website here, um, signing up for registration in the next couple days or so. So Sean, I'm going to pass it off to March
0: you. March 4th is kind of the deadline I I hear. Yeah, it's
1: going to be totally different this year. So instead of just going to register the morning that registration opens, we're trying to um, slow it down and make it a little less chaotic for people. And so um, parents uh, need to take action, or if you're signing a kid up, uh, take action um, in the next couple of days, so by, by March fourth, and sign up for our um, registration list. And what that does is then we'll we'll take that list and we'll do a lottery and we'll give random assigned days to register. So it kind of spreads out registration and uh, it's an attempt
0: to be kind of fair and make it a little bit easier for people. So this is you get. So this is step one,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? You and guys. then you get your you're in you're an A group, B group, or C group. Mm-hmm. And then you and then that will be the days that you go and actually register and sign up and all the details happen. Exactly. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, that's cuz it does sound like it sounds like you guys have had a k a little bit of a chaotic <laughs> sign up events Which is awesome, the right? There's, there's a lot love of
1: this. Families right. and kids that want to enroll in summer camp and that is absolutely wonderful. But yeah, it can be so many that um You know, it's just hard when everybody uh, rushes to to sign it up at once. And, you know, all of a sudden you're on for you're you're looking at one camp and five minutes later, there are no spots left in
0: that camp. So tell me about. The camp itself, just Mm -hmm. for folks who maybe haven't heard of it, or maybe are getting reminded of it uh, here. Yeah, what happens? So
3: we offer a wide range. Um, We offer camps from ages four all the way up to ages fourteen. Generally, our camps are they're all day camps, so we're with the kids from about eight thirty a.m. until three p.m. Generally. We're with them Monday through Friday, and usually the groups are about 12 kids, and we'll have two leaders uh, within that group, so two adult leaders. And generally, we meet um, at a central location in town, and then we transport the kids around to different natural areas in Juneau in our 15 passenger vans. So we'll pick special places that we like that might Uh, connect to a theme of a camp, for example, when we're working on our oceans theme, Uh, That week, maybe we'll pick specific beaches that we want to travel to, and then we'll have special activities at each beach. So every day is outside, uh, no matter the weather generally. So we ask that kids come prepared, and it's just a really awesome time outside.
0: And what days does it run, or what are the kind of general dates for it?
3: Yeah, the first week of camp is going to start very early June. I think June, I want to say 3rd, is our first day of camp, and it runs all the way until the beginning of August. So we do eight different weeks of camp uh, for the whole summer.
0: That's really cool, man. You know, kids, it's incredible, you know, just being able to see – kids discover Southeast Alaska. Like you say, all weather, get Mm -hmm. out in it. Like just learning that skill in a way of getting out in the weather in Southeast Alaska and how it doesn't have to be intimidating uh, is such a cool thing.
3: It's a huge component of our programs and we like to make the distinction during the summer that it's less about carrying out a lesson with the kids like we do in our school year programs And it's really about giving them an opportunity to play. And part of that is helping them learn how to play with each other, um, how to kind of navigate those different social situations, how to have them feel safe trying new things. But it's all about giving them that kind of stepping stone to exploring outside. and
0: It's summer after all right? It's supposed to be fun. When I was a kid, I went to Camp Thoreau, which was on Walden Pond. I lived in Massachusetts and so got to do that. But I, you know, it's funny. I I think that was maybe just a three week camp that Mm -hmm. I did maybe two years. I remember those days so distinctly.
3: Absolutely. You know,
0: you learn so much. And uh, even if you don't think you're learning, you know, at the time. Yeah. Those can be such formative times, just getting outside for kids and Mm Yeah.
1: Thinking about all those experiences in our lives, it's really important that kids have those today. I think that's Kind of what Discovery Southeast has been known for, whether it's in the school year or programs in classrooms or the summer camps like this, it's just really making sure that all kids in Juneau have that. Uh, in the in the classroom, they all have that formative experience for all the grades from all the elementary grades from K through five, and then uh, for summer, making sure that all kids have an opportunity to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's it's incredibly important. It's something that I think that sometimes we. Um, a little bit take it for granted. You know, we're outdoors a lot or, you know, we just live lifestyles that, you know, interact with nature because we're in Juno. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's too easy in a way for kids to not interact in that way. You know, there's a lot of other distractions in the world these days. Definitely. And um, and it seems so important just to allow them an opportunity to figure out what's fun about getting out yeah. in the outdoors.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes when you have a group, you can tell that it takes them a little while to figure out what to do when you don't tell them to do anything. right? And so it'll, it's a little bit awkward at first and then they'll figure out like, oh, we're next to a stream, we could start building a bridge if we wanna make a bridge with logs that we could carry together. So giving them the space to build things or be creative or one of my favorite memories was Being on a beach with kids at Ock and they figured out how to rub rocks together to make it into a powder. And then somehow that turned into using the powder to make paint. And then they were painting each other's nails with the rock powder. So (laughs) they get really creative when you give them the space to do that. Um, And we also want to make sure that every kid is able to do that. So we give some space in our camps each week. Um, and have school staff members nominate a kid to go to a week of camp for free. And that's funded by our member donations.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. That's, I, yeah. That's ahead, something that's we should kind of highlight is yeah.
1: that one thing really special about Discovery Southeast Camp is that we are a nonprofit and we have a sliding scale pay-as-you-can tuition. And so families can pay um, whatever's right for them all the way down to zero. And then we do that nomination process that Maggie was talking about where we work with teachers and um, other people in our community to nominate kids whose – might not otherwise sign up for camp. Maybe their their parents wouldn't register them or or something. So there was some other impediment and make sure that those kids um, get all the support they need to, so that they can take part in camp.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because Discovery Southeast, and I know, Sean, you've kind of overseen a lot of these kind of evolution changes that have been happening at that organization. But a big part of what allows that to happen is this partnership you have with the Forest Service out at the Mendenhall Glacier Center, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's become a huge part.
1: And I mean, one part is definitely member support and business support. And if you go onto our website, you see a lot of local businesses that support us. And there are tons of families um, probably who are listening right now. Thank you to all those families who support us with their membership donations and make these things possible. Um, And then, yeah, our uh, bookstore at the Hall Glacier is a partnership with the Forest Service. And um Yeah, go out there and check it out. It's a lot of local products with local artists and
0: and authors and vendors. That's Um, what's so cool about it. mm -hmm. You know, I love going out there and it's not just, um, you know government agency gift shops kind of set all up. Right. You know what I mean? You can tell that there's local people that are administering this gift shop. Yeah. If
1: you're in Juneau, you, yeah. you, probably, you probably know at least someone who's, whose work is out there. Yeah, definitely. And then um, all the proceeds, 100% get turned around for education in our schools. So it stays in our community and supports our kids. And um, you probably know some kids too. So That's a
0: great, <laughs> really, it's a way, it's, it's another great way that, you know, the people who are visiting our town in the summer, especially mm-hmm. who kind of Go through the go through that, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of them that go through there are contributing to the local program that's really important for our families and kids here. Yeah, really cool. Um, what else is going on with Discovery Southeast you want to talk about? We can kind of circle back around and talk about talk a little bit more about the about the uh, Outdoor Explorers summer camp as well. But yeah, so else happening? I
1: mean, our bread and butter in the school year is. Um- Programs going into school classrooms, and so we're in every classroom um, each season of the year: fall, winter, and spring, with a set, with a pre, like um, a a pre lesson, and then a field trip, and then a post lesson. Mm-hmm. And I think Maggie was just out on a field trip today. Actually, I
3: was. Yeah, I was with a fourth grade class at Oak Bay Elementary, and our winter lesson is. Uh, thinking about animal adaptations in the wintertime. So we focus mainly in the field on how do different animals in Alaska keep themselves from losing heat in the wintertime. And so our field trip today was really lovely because it was in the muskeg. There was just a lot of sparkly, beautiful snow. And I got to get a small group of kids, so half of the class at a time, out romping around on snowshoes. And we just kind of played in the snow for a long time and they could see how different animals moved with a foot that's shaped like a snowshoe. And it was a really wonderful
0: oh, That's really cool. Trip. I mean, that's the one thing that I think that uh, it, it, it it unlocks this world of fascination mm-hmm. for kids to not just be walking around thinking, well, I'm surrounded by plants. Right. And maybe there's some animals. Yeah. It's like, what are those plants? What are those animals? And think about what they're doing and how they survive and how they make a living. That stuff's really cool. You know, as you gear up for the Outdoor Explorer summer camp, is mm-hmm. there a hiring happens too? Or are you looking for people to kind of get into that pipeline of uh, working this program? You know, I think we...
1: I think that's probably passed. I think people can reach out. And uh, if, if you are looking for a summer job with summer camp, you can uh, submit your information to info at discoverysoutheast.org. Um, but I think that's m- that's mostly complete by now. And really, if, if you're the one thing we are looking for is help out at the bookstore. And so um, something that's really awesome is that a lot of the kids who are in our programs um, as elementary school kids are then working at the bookstore in their later high school or college years, which is just kind that's of an awesome cool. yeah. continuation. Um, but we do find that a lot of um, people who work at the bookstore aren't available in the shoulder seasons, mm-hmm. so like May or um, late August and September. And so uh, we're still hiring out for clerks out at the bookstore, and people um, can can uh, send their information to bookstore at discoverysoutheast.org if they're interested in that, or just go onto our website, discoverysoutheast.org, and um, we're still hiring people for the entire summer, but particularly if people just want a shorter commitment or part-time in those shoulder seasons, that can be a great way to, um, dip your toes in the water.
0: What are some of the numbers about the total enrollment of kids? I know I'm throwing this at you. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. have, maybe you have it right at your tip of your fingers, but what are sort of the total enrollment of kids for the summer program and the school program and give an idea of the size of the program?
1: Yeah, we expanded camp this year. So I think there are going to be 350 spots. We asked that each child only enroll in one spot. If there's extra, then we'll take them off the wait list. But for now, only one. And, um, the way we did that is we opened up a new kind of camp called trailhead camps that meet right at the trailheads. So that kind of takes out our bottleneck, which is transportation. And so, um, so yeah, so with that- kids
0: who can get there, maybe they can carpool out there. Families can kind of get together and figure out to get to the trailhead. And to take care of that part of the transportation, yeah.
3: Yeah, and we tried to do that for the age group where we see the most needs. So upper elementary tends to be where the spots fill up the most quickly. And so we added in four extra weeks at Trailhead so that we'll... You'll meet staff at a designated trailhead, for example, Fish Creek Park, and then you explore that area all week. And so it still has its own theme and own activities you'll be working on. Still a group of 12 kids, but it's just adding that many more spots yeah, to cool. meet the need.
0: Yeah, great. And then it, it, and then uh, are there. So then, and then how many kids are there during the school year program? How, mm-hmm. many, how many, do you know how many, what, what the numbers are on that generally? Thousands. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the number that pops
1: pops into my mind is about 3,000 kids. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's every K through five um, classroom that we have programs for. Mm-hmm. And we've actually been expanding programs now to do some preschool programming and some middle school programming. Yeah. So that's a lot of kids. And mm-hmm. if you think about over 35 years that Discovery Southeast has been around, I mean-
0: at some point, it's just the population of Juno has been <laughs> yeah, impacted totally. by these programs. Oh, yeah! I mean, everyone's been impacted in some way. But you know, it's interesting to think about kind of getting up into that middle school. That's a whole other yeah. level of learning, right? It is, yeah. yeah.
3: So i um, I grew up in Sitka, and then I lived uh, down in Oregon and Washington for a while. And I started teaching middle school, and I was teaching middle school science. Moved back to Juno, and I thought, well, Discovery looks great. I'd like to work for them. And um, no one had really looked into the middle school thing in, in a lot of detail, I think, because uh, the middle school schedule is just a lot harder. They're traveling to different classes and it's harder to fit in like a two hour field trip, which really having more time outside is the best that we can ask for. So um, since I was familiar with the middle school schedule and what I felt like I could accomplish in a class period or or working with that schedule, um, I've started to try out just some kind of regular nature study style lessons in the middle schools. So I started with the science classes, both at Floyd Dryden and Zonk Tahini and trying to meet with them as often as I can outside of the elementary programs. but. Really, it's no different than carrying out a nature studies lesson, you know, just giving them some time to explore outside, right outside the school in the forest or by a stream. Um, And that's been really fun meeting with the older kids.
0: Yeah, I I would think so. I mean, I mean, kids develop, they kind of get set in their ways Mm -hmm. a little bit, either I'm not a nature kid or I am, you know, or in that kind of thing. And I think getting exposed continually I think it must be pretty rewarding.
3: Absolutely. And I think now I've been with Discovery long enough that especially as they've moved into sixth or seventh grade, they'll they'll start to recognize you when you come into the building. And so they'll know like, oh, this means we're going outside today or <laughs> yeah, something right. like that. Yeah. So they see us and they know what's going to happen, which is
0: fun. <laughs> so good. some
3: of them, it's a good recognition. And others are like, oh, man, I didn't put my snow pants on today. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Yeah, got to get out there. Yeah. Well, um, once again, it's the Outdoor Explorers Summer Camp. Maybe Maybe let's just go through the -hmm. the process a little bit one more time, just in case people are catching up with what needs to happen this year. Absolutely. So
3: by March 4th, we'd like you to sign up on our website for the assigned registration days. So that sign up is you'll sign up on a Google form and that will assign you a day later on via email. Yep, so that'll um, that put you in the lottery you Then we'll mm-hmm.
0: give you a day from there. And the website is discovery Southeast.org. Okay. Yeah. And then, and uh, what are the, what's, I know you said this already, but what are the age groups for?
3: Age groups are, we offer sessions of camp for ages four through 14, but we'll break it up into smaller groups. So for example, our youngest is kids that are ages four through six, and then we kind of go up in small chunks from there.
0: I think it's a rite of passage. Kids have to go take the Discovery Southeast outdoor explorer in the summer, get out there. Make sure, you know, you want to dial up a few rainy days, a few Mm, windy days.
3: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the challenge days. Can't
0: be all nice weather, you know, so. No, that's uh, too easy. Yeah, that's too easy. Yeah. And are there just just real quick and not to get too deep into it, but are there certain areas of study you're especially looking forward to Mm. this year that you're that that are kind of launching out this year?
3: Um, yeah, I always really love our – we have an Oceans Week and we have a Streams and Salmon Week, so we also get to work with really fun partnerships in the community like NOAA or um, DIPAC or uh, things like that that just – create really good partnerships. Um, and then a, a classic is always peak week, which is first our older elementary and our middle schoolers. And they essentially hike a different good. peak in Juneau every day. And that's really fun. Up a
0: peak every yeah. day. Wow.
3: <laughs> that's good. It's really popular. Making little they mountain really go goats
0: out it. of those kids. Yeah, exactly. love it, yeah. love it. All right, well there's Discovery Southeast. And once again, it's the Outdoor Explorer Summer Camp. You can find out more at discoverysoutheast.org. That's the details on all the camps and registration info and uh, the change this year is they're asking families to sign up now by March 4th, and then you'll get assigned a registration day. And uh, Sean Isley and Maggie Gill have been talking to us from Discovery Southeast. Thanks to both of you and have a great time with those kids.
3: Thank you so much. All right. right. Thank Thanks, you.
0: do it for Juno Afternoon broadcast live from Klingit Ani on KTOO 104.3 FM online at KTOO.org and rebroadcast on this station at 7 p.m. And uh, you can listen to interviews, see links and anything we discussed or be on the show yourself. You can check out our website at KTOO.org slash Juno Afternoon. Good afternoon. Is a production of the KTO Arts and Culture Team. Boston. Christopher is the producer. Opening and closing theme is by Indian Agent. And I'm Andy Klein, your host for this Friday. Thanks so much for joining us.